So everyone, please welcome Richard and Kathleen. As Pastor Phil said, we are Richard and Kathy Sims, and we're here today to present to you an ongoing mission um, that we've been a part of with the Apache people of the White Mountain Tribe. Um, we are going to be going to the reservation the end of October, October 26th through the 31st. And I think it was about four years ago um, in the church we were at, we were um, informed that the Apache were going to come up here and they were going to do a woman's conference. And so they were looking for host families, and we said, oh, we could take a couple. We got six. <laughs> it was a little crowded, but it, it worked out great. And um, when they showed up, you know, we went to church, picked up our uh, people, and then um, they had never been in a white person's home before, so it was very interesting. They're looking around. But fortunately, we like a lot of Southwest Native Americans, so they said they felt at home. Um, from there, after we had this women's conference, word of advice, because I was the first one who said, where's the men's conference? Don't do that. Anyways, um, so they had a rodeo Bible camp with uh, Delta Cowboy Church. And they said, you want to go to a rodeo Bible camp? And I'm going, yeah, I'm a true city slicker. I'll go down there. Um, which end of the cow do you avoid? I don't know that kind of stuff. So there's me and these real cowboys and these real Indians, and we just had a ball. I mean, it, it really, it really kind of spoke to me about God's working on the reservation. Why should we not be part of it? Um, we made several more trips. I made several more trips. Kathy eventually joined. Um, she came down to the rodeo Bible camp, um, and then women's conferences was going still and then we had our first men's conference just pre-COVID. Um, COVID kind of knocked things um, down. They said, um, yeah, it was just it was just a hard time for, for the COVID. Um, and then we also had DBS activities and we all kind of had our niche. There's actually a food bank similar to the one that's run here run from a church out of Phoenix that has a member in that church is, is family in Grand Junction, so they said, we'll start the food ministry coming out of Phoenix, and that's been going on four years now. Really, really good ministry, really needed on the reservation. Um, there's plans in the future for a pastor's conference, and then um, uh, a middle and uh, high school camp. They really like basketball. They like rodeo. There's, rodeo's a big draw, and, and the um, basketball can be a big draw, so it's an ongoing thing. Okay, still my turn. Um, the Apache are one tribe. Uh, yeah, we divided this up. The Apache are one tribe, but ten nations. Um, we work with the White, Amount, the White Mountain Apache, but there's also the Mescalero, the CBQ, and the, um, and the Chiricahua, for example. They're divided then from there into clans. They have like the Turkey Clan and the Bear Clan, and we're trying to figure all this stuff out. Um, they're closely related to the Navajo. They border the Navajo Reservation. They, um, they're Americans just like us, but they're different. They really are. It's, just, it's a whole different mindset. Their culture is unique, and I continue to study on their culture. 
Um, they worship many gods, and their native religion is a large part of their lives. A lot of poverty, real you know, hardcore poverty, poverty down on the reservation. Um, for example, though, even we can't drink the water. We have to bring in our own water when we go to the reservation because we can't drink the water. We go to Mexico, we drink the water in Mexico. We can't drink it in Arizona. We drive across the Navajo Nation to get there, and a third of the Navajo homes don't even have electricity still. So that's kind of the plight of Native Americans in this part of the, part of the country. Um, and crime definitely is serious on um, parts of the reservation. So when this started, it was just a handful of people. Um, I don't even know how they did Rodeo Bible Camp the one year. There was only, what, five of from the church we were going to. Um, but somehow they did it. And, and what our part was for Rodeo Bible Camp, uh, we do the Bible study with the kids, and we prepare the food and take care of all of that. And, of course, the cowboys do the rodeo. In fact, they were teasing last rodeo. Richard's like, well, can I be in the rodeo? Can I be? Well, the pastor's wife had done a, a vacation Bible school for the little ones because the patchy will bring the kids that were old enough to do rodeo, but they leave the little ones running around. So this time, um, we, you know, had something for them. And so uh, Pastor Shane at uh, Delta Bible Church said, yeah, you can be in the rodeo. They made stick horses in vacation Bible school. That's what he told them he I could ride. <laughs> But this time we are very blessed that we're going to have uh, several churches in the valley, or a handful, um, that will be going with us. Um, and we've rented the American Legion. And again, we said the men's conference will be October 27th and 28th. The women's will be the two nights after. We always start with a meal um, that we bring and prepare, and we serve and clean up. Uh, that culture is that you share a meal together. And then there'll be music, there'll be um, lectures or uh, speaking on the Bible, or we have some different topics we're doing, uh, personal testimonies, and then there'll be small group exercises and follow-up. Currently there's about, depends on how you count, I'll send out another email today, about 21 to 24 of us going down to the mission. Um, we're staying in one house. We've got like a VRBO, like an Airbnb. It's in one house. Real hectic, real crazy, but it, it works somehow. We have people that come down that, that will stay at the VRBO. We'll, we'll make our meals and, and prepare everything for us so we can go out and do the work. I have some men coming down that are a little bit shy about you know being in, in, in front of people, so they're doing work on uh, one of the pastor's offices, so they're fixing up an office, doing some all that kind of stuff, so within their within their skill sets. Um, I myself um, and another gentleman out at Gunnison will be teaching. Kathy will be doing some teaching. Um, I'm, I'm getting men to share their testimony, you know, to really kind of get out and, and kind of fulfill parts of the Great Commission. So we've got, we've got a good little crowd going down there. So with that said, uh, yes, we, we really appreciate our church here, Canyon West, and uh, the things that you all have done for the Great Commission work, uh, that's very evident. We do the monthly uh, food ministry and then have the booth at Farmer's Market and, of course, the weekly Bible studies. Um, but we just wanted to come and make you aware of this mission and ask for your assistance. Oh, yeah, that's the last time I wore this skirt. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, 
And if God should lead you to help in any way, uh, we have some brochures in the back, and then Richard does have a list um, from the sponsor church is Connections Church, and all of this was actually started by uh, the pastor that did pass away, Paris Wallace. He just showed up on the res one day and went to Fire on the Mountain Church, they're kind of the host church, um, and uh, Pastor Kose will say, yeah, this hippie guy showed up, and he said he'd come back, and I went, yeah, 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 but he did. And he got the, you know, all of this started way back when, and his mom now continues it uh, with his legacy, and we're growing. The Great Commission commands that you get out of your own comfort zones. We are not allowed as Christians, I believe, to have comfort zones. If God's working there, just go there. You know what I mean? Just figure it out when you get down there sometimes. That's all you got to do. Um, what we're looking for this time, and, and it worked before, they, they, they brought a bunch of sewing machines down. We actually found a little business that donated a bunch. Uh, the Apache women still make a lot of their family clothing and such. So we're looking for um, sewing machines that are good. We're looking for um, uh, yeah, like material and thread. Um, for the men, we're going to be bringing a bunch of fishing gear because the conference title is Fishers of Men. It's, it, you know, do, do we, it's kind of a, a way to entice them to come to the American Legion Hall when we're doing the conferences. But it's also, again, part of their culture. You come down, you share gifts, you know, and they will share gifts with us. If you have more, then you share more. If you have less, you still share less. But it's still the way the culture works, and it works very well. So for the men, we're doing the fishing gear, um, fishing poles. We could always use, like, nice, clean blankets, um, nice, clean sleeping bags, things that you may not be using anymore. Any um, Christian CDs, any Christian literature. We're trying to build little libraries in, in the different churches we're with down there because there are a few evangelical churches that we're, we're tying into and locking into pretty well. Um, oh, yeah, money's always good, too. Uh, oh, yeah, duh. Um, I've done this before. Because um, we buy all the food. We, we do all the prep. Everything is just done. That's just the way it is and you spend a ton of time in relationship. They like to hang out, they like to visit, and, and, and I do too, and so it works. Long term, it definitely works. Um, consider your part of the Great Commission. This little church already does a great deal, which is it's impressive, um, but this is just another little aspect that now you all are involved with on this part of the Great Commission. Um, pray that once we get to all this organizing and logistics and recruitment out of the way, that we get out of the way and let God do what God will do because he's definitely alive and well on the reservation. There's a lot of good believers down there. Um, pray for us. We always need prayer. And we need workers also because the harvest is plentiful. Um, part of our reason for going down, or our hope and goal is to eventually train up some of the local pastors um, we're going to try to get some of the pastors together. And the lay And the lay leadership. But the idea is that eventually they can take over. But we're showing them how to do it and giving them good biblical training. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Got any questions? We're here.
Thank you. Thank you very much. Man. So just to reiterate, um, Richard and Kathleen will be here uh, next week, and then they're gone. So if we're going to get any of the donations together, we need to have it ready for them by next Sunday. I think we've already got some stuff ready to go. But um, like I say, if, if there's anything that you want to, to provide for that, like I say, next Sunday is the, is the deadline. So uh, please keep that in the back of your minds. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for Richard and Kathleen. Thank you for their mission. Such grand adventure you give us the opportunity to partner with you in. Pray for safety and provision. And Father, I hope that you just explode in their lives, that you turn hearts, that you soften hearts, that you open minds, that you open ears. Father, as we sit here in comfort, as we sit here in blessing, as we sit here in provision, please open our hearts and our minds and our ears that we would be open to you, that we would be desperately, relentlessly searching for you. Father, we're going to open your word. I ask that you bless this time that we have together and that you open your heart and your mind and your wisdom to us as we open your word in front of us. We ask all of that in the greatest missionary, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to continue our, uh, our study in John chapter 7. Quick announcements. Next weekend, the October 8th. Welcome back, by the way. Hi, Lexi. Uh, we have uh, we have food bank next weekend, the eighth and ninth. Please plan on participating in that. It's been kind of a, an odd season for us. We've had lower attendance, but we've had you know kind of a mix in the food and, and all of that. We've got a bunch of new uh, uh, carts to put things on to hopefully help move things around and change our storage arrangement as well as our our shopping arrangements. So we'll have some some changes coming to how we do it, but uh, you know we'll see. Maybe I'm, I'm gone off half-cocked and completely wrong, and uh, we'll, we'll find out. But then uh, October 31st is Fifth Sunday, so we will have uh, communion, potluck, the kids. And so we're going to change the potluck, I know. You knew this was coming. So it's going to be a chili cook-off. So you don't have to bring chili if you don't want to. You can just bring something else. But we're going to bring, I, I don't know, there's a bunch of ladies that wanted to do this. They're going to do chili cook-off. So... We're going we're gonna to have chili. Um, we're going to make sure we serve up to everyone. And like I say, you don't have to bring chili if there's something else that's on your mind. But if you would like to participate in that, you are more than welcome to do that. And that is October 31st. We do have the uh, Tuesday evening and Wednesday evening Bible studies. And we, uh, we have our missions continuing to go on. Please remember the little tear-off tab on the back of your bulletins if you have any prayer requests. And they go in the offering box at the back of the church. Please also in your prayers, uh, just keep, continue to pray for Afghanistan, continue to pray for Thailand and Myanmar, pray for Africa as well. I don't know if you guys have been following, but there was 
uh, a coup in a couple of countries uh, in Central Africa and are continuing to have unrest. And so just please keep those folks in your, in your prayers um, as we go forward. So if you want to open your Bibles, we are in John chapter 7, and we are in verses 25 through 44. We're continuing our, our march through, through John, and I know we should be quite astounded that we are moving through John chapter 7 this quick. I, we, you know, when we were in John chapter 6, we spent, I think, a month and a half on, on the first half of, of John chapter 6, so here we are on our third Sunday, and we're most of the way through the chapter. So again, we're in John chapter 7, verses 25 through 44. It says, and it's interesting, the title of this is Division Over Who Jesus Is. I, instead, I made this uh, living water, as in springs of living water, which is the conclusion. It's what Jesus says. But it says, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then, Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out. I want to pause here for a moment. There's four times in the Bible when it says Jesus cried out. It means that he shouted with a loud voice. The one that's different is when he's on the cross. That is literally, the, it's the loudest. It's the loudest that you could be expressing in the Greek. So, but here he, he literally yells. He cries out. Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, When the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I am going to be with the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to, the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. There it is. He's yelling again. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. So, again, we're in Jerusalem. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll, uh, we'll cut this fairly short, but you have the three major festivals. If you're keeping track... They're the three festivals that come right in a row. Um, and the, the month is, is, is Tishri. It's the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. So you have uh, the Feast of Trumpets. 
starting on the first day of Tishri. Then you have the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, on the 10th day of Tishri. Then you have the, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. It's on the 15th day of Tishri. The, so Passover and Tabernacles would have been two of the festivals where you were required to come to, uh, to Jerusalem if you could and make your uh, sacrifices there. I put these in your message map if you want to look, um, but they're in Exodus um, 23 and Exodus 34, and then Leviticus 23 uh, is where these are spelled out if you want to look those up on your own. And then also Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. So again, they're here for the festival of tabernacles. And it says, celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of the tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. That's what they're doing. I wanted you to keep that picture in the back of your mind because as we go through this conversation, it's important to remember that Jesus is standing in Herod's temple. They're among all the, the gilded uh, gold and the marble and, and the cedars, all of that wonderful trappings is where he is at in the courts when he is teaching. It's easy to forget that's where he is standing and that his audience, and this is super important, his audience are Jews. So then John is very careful. It's interesting. He's very careful about who is in the audience. He tells us that he calls the general crowd, which is going to be everyone that has come together for the festival. So you have all these people that have traveled from all over. Then he pulls out that there are some people that are from Jerusalem. They're from there, which means that they have a little bit more insight into kind of the murmur, right? Imagine if, because we have our church and we have our conversations that we had, right? But before we, we started up, we get to know each other pretty well. We talk about what's going on. Then imagine if we were had a larger crowd that came to join us. There would be us that we, we see each other week after week, that we would have some rumor, some information that maybe other folks that we're visiting wouldn't have, and that's what we see. Then we have the leadership, the leadership of the, the church that's there, and then there are some temple guards. And the guards won't come in until uh, next week when we get into verse 45. Well, I guess a couple of weeks, because John's going to take next week. But, um, so we have, like I said, we have those, that, that, that branch. Is it next week, John, or is it two weeks? Anyway, sorry. Anyway, um, so like I said, we have those, those people there in the crowd. If we were to back up to the top, remember this all started with his brothers. His brother was saying, hey, you should go down to Jerusalem. The festival's going on. No public person wants to stay hidden. Go and do all these magical things that you've been doing in front of the crowd. You know, let's get this party started. Let's get this band on the road. We can build popularity quickly with what you can do. And Jesus' response Notice in verse 5, his brothers did not really believe in him. They were not really believers. Now, they, later on, they would become believers, but right here, they were not believers. So verse 6, Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. 
I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. Two things to pull out of there. The first thing is Jesus' authority. And we're going to see Jesus' authority demonstrated throughout our passage for today. It says right in there that they wanted to seize him. They wanted to grab a hold of him. And yet they were not able to. Why? Because his time had not yet come. God is in command of this entire process from start to finish. From Genesis to Revelation, he is in control. Make no mistake. I summarize it this way. I love the way David Platt puts it. And that is, God is sovereign. God is in control. But man is responsible. We have free will for our work. We are responsible for our actions. But make no mistake, God is sovereign and his plan will not be thwarted. So that's part number one. The second part is the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. We can objectively judge right and wrong based on scripture. If someone steals, we can say it's wrong to steal. We can also say that justice is a duty given to our government. Governments are responsible for providing justice. We go to Romans 13. We read it a couple of weeks ago. We can also say that punishment must be just and merciful. In the Bible, it says what? It says an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. That's a restraint. That's not a permission to go around gouging out people's eyes and knocking their teeth out. It says that you can't do any more to a criminal than what they did to you. So if somebody stole from you, the most that you can do is to get that property back. Right? But then there are certain crimes such as, as rape and murder that says, no, that, that person needs to go before God. Just go ahead and send them on, on to heaven and God will be their judge. It's hard, isn't it? If we wanted to tease this out, we could go to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 48 when Jesus has the, the Sermon on the Mount. This is exactly what he's talking about. He's trying to correct the common beliefs about the law. And this comes into play in our verse for today as well. The people that are there have some misconceptions. They have some things wrong in their, their doctrine. And it's big enough, it's a big enough concern that is keeping them from saving faith in Jesus. That's really important for us to understand that there are things... Right? And I've said this before, that you can have wrong doctrine and still be saved. I think about the thief on the cross. He didn't study a day in his life. He never held a Bible, never knew any of those things. He was still saved. But there are points where our doctrine can be so wrong that they keep us from saving faith. And that's what Jesus is trying to do here. He's pleading with these guys, pleading with these Jews, saying, no, 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 you've got the wrong of it. So in the Sermon on the Mount... He is going through the law. He say, no, you've got some things wrong in your doctrine. It's in chapter 5, verses 13 through 48. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill it to the Lord, the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. For today, I would highlight, I would underline those verses 43 through 48. Because Jesus is relentlessly demonstrating love for his enemies today. But again, we can proclaim right and wrong, good and evil. However, We should expect persecution. Why? The world hates Jesus because its deeds, its works, are evil. But we cannot judge someone's relationship to God. Why? 
because sin, which is eternally offensive to God, does not exclude anyone from salvation. All of us have a sin problem. All of us. Therefore, we cannot say to anyone, regardless of their sin problem, that they are not welcome in the church. Because we all have a sin problem, and sin is all the same. God doesn't look and parse. I was thinking about this crowd. And if we were to think about it modern day, think if you had, you know, an atheist and uh, and maybe someone who who worships Satan standing out, and then you have a bunch of Christians and maybe some Jews and maybe some Muslims and maybe, maybe some Buddhists. All of them, all of them, will fail to make it unless they build a relationship with Christ. They can step as close to heaven as they want to. There's still a gap. And unless you find Christ somewhere, you never bridge the gap. So we cannot judge anyone's relationship to Christ. You can't say, well, you know, your sin is much worse than mine, which is tempting, right? It's, it's tempting to say, well, at least I'm not that guy. But no, you can't do that because we are all the same in God's eyes. We can judge right and wrong. We can judge good and evil, but we cannot judge our brothers and sisters because we all stand condemned. So we get back to our message. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Again, anyone, no exclusions. Jesus is absolutely relentless in his pursuit of these rebels, of these enemies. There there are people in this crowd who want to kill him, and he knows it. They said it. They were searching for him. Go back to, to verse 11 and verse 25. And still, he begs for them to come to him and to drink. So can we do anything less? As a church, could we do anything less than what Christ did? Other than to beg for people to come to Christ and to drink. No, we, we must do that at least. So when the time was right, Jesus went to Jerusalem. He went to the temple and he began to teach. Last week, we looked at what Jesus said about himself that was so divisive. We made a whole list of what Jesus said about himself that made all these people mad. This week, we're going to look at what Jesus said about the crowd that was so divisive. When Jesus spoke, Whenever he did the miracles, everybody was really happy. They loved the show. They loved seeing people healed. They loved seeing the demons cast out. As soon as he started speaking, people were like, all righty then, Uh, coffee's this way? Great, I will see you all. He was very divisive in what he said. So we looked last week about all the proclamations he made about himself, about him being the son of God, about him being the the bread of life, about him being the, the water of life, about all of those parts. Now let's look at what he said about the people in the crowd. In many ways, he's talking about us. He says, John 5, 23, Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. He says in John 5, 42 through 43, But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. He's talking to Jews. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. 
John 6, 44 through 47. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. John 8, 19. You do not know me or my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. John 8, 42 through 47. If God were your Father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Okay. You do not know God. You are not looking for God. And when you do look for God, it will be too late. He's standing in the courts, in the temple, in Jerusalem, speaking to not just Jews, Jews who have come for the festival to do their duty to God. Everyone who is there came to do their, their part, to be part of this festival of, of tabernacles, to bring their tithes and their offerings. It's, it's fall. It's just like the time of the year that it is now. The harvest is complete. They've brought it all in. They're having this week-long celebration. And Jesus stands in the courts and says, you, the most holy people, the people that God chose, the people that God gave the prophets to, the people that God gave the land to, the people that God set aside as his own people, you don't know God. That's a rough indictment, isn't it? You can understand their reaction. They're going, man, wow, really? Jesus is divisive. What he says about himself is divisive, and what he says about the people is divisive. I dare you to walk down the streets of Fruta carrying a sign that says, you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. See, there's a reason when churches get liberal, and I don't mean like left-leaning or politically left, as in they, they walk away from the Bible, the first thing they walk away from is John and Paul. There's a reason for that. Because if you read John and you read the writings of Paul, all the rest of that nonsense suddenly fades away. How can you read that and go, ah, no, everyone gets in. Everyone is, is good. If you're just 51% good, if you're 49% bad and 51% good, you make it to heaven. Jesus doesn't say that. No, he sets this really high bar. He says, 
you do not know God, you are not looking for God, and when you do look for God, it will be too late. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you carry out your father's desires. He says, not everyone is called. He says, salvation is a limited time offer. There will be a point where God walks away from you. Think about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Think about John 2, where Jesus did not trust himself to the crowd because he knew what was in their heart. Think about the crowd in chapter 6. Jesus physically walks away from them. And that's really tough, especially when we think about who was in this crowd. Jewish leaders, the temple guard, people from Jerusalem, and Jews who have traveled from all over to be there for the Feast of Tabernacles. These are not folks who right now were sitting in their recliners watching cartoons. These are people who actively went to church, and he's saying you don't know God. Oh. All right. Jeremiah 30, 22 says, these are the people of God. So you will be my people, and I will be your God. These people had the scriptures read to them and interpreted for them weekly. They celebrated the appointed festivals. They brought their tithes and their offerings and their sacrifices. Yet Jesus looks at them and says the same thing he did to Cain. You are not what I am looking for. Last week, Jesus gave us a test. He said that we would know the truth and that he was the truth by earnestly seeking God and searching the scriptures. So my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. And anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? That is a stern and terrifying warning. Remember that he is beckoning. He is pleading with these people who have made themselves his enemies, and he wants them to come to repentance. They want to kill him. Why? Because he says their deeds are evil. We could recap that in, in John 5.16. It says, So because Jesus was doing these on the Sabbath, Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Earlier, they were watching for Jesus, and they said, where is he? It was in 7.11 and 7.25. And notice it says, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem, these are the locals, these are the people that are from there, they know what's going on with the leadership. And they say, man, isn't, isn't this the guy that they're trying to kill? But Jesus' heart breaks for his enemies, for the people who would nail him to the cross. And I would love to say that I would stand here and say, no, 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 that wasn't me. That wasn't my hand with the hammer and the nail. But that wouldn't be the truth. The truth is that those were my hands that held those nails. That was my hand with the hammer. 
that nailed him to the cross. And I can do nothing but be thankful that he pled for me. Listen to what he said, begging for these people in Luke chapter 13. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the heart of Christ right there. Begging, pleading, arguing, saying anything he can to get these folks to turn to repent. So there's confusion in the crowd. There's mixed reaction and confusion. So some of the people, and these are the folks from Jerusalem, they begin to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Because they're confused. Because there he is standing in the temple courts. There he is speaking. So why don't they just grab him? They're there. The guards are there. Everybody's there. Why is he standing up there talking? Why didn't they just grab him? So they start to think, well, wait a minute. Have the leaders changed their minds? Are they thinking maybe he's the Messiah? Have, have the, wait a minute, have the leadership changed? Do they suddenly think differently? That's what they start asking. They start mumbling, start asking. And then they start having this conversation. They're going, well, wait a minute. We know where he comes from. We, he comes from, from Nazareth, from Galilee. We know where this guy comes from. We shouldn't know that. Isn't that what the, the Bible says, that we shouldn't know that? See, right here, we got to stop. Because this is the point where false teaching and false doctrine can prevent people from coming to saving faith. Because this was a popular opinion. It would have been taught to them that the Bible said that they would not know where Messiah came from. But if you were to turn to the scriptures that they had at the time, turn in there in your book. Go to, uh, go to Psalm 110. Go to 1 Chronicles 17. It says, this is a, the Davidic covenant. It says, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever from the house and from the line of David. So they would know where he would come from. Psalm 110. This is a psalm of David. Jesus quotes this psalm. I'm sorry, uh, Jesus doesn't quote it. It's quoted in in Acts. Uh, Stephen quotes it. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from, uh, come from me, one who will be ruler over Israel. That's Micah 5.2. 
See, if they'd been taught the scriptures, they would have known. No, we will know where the, the Messiah comes from. We will know we will be from the house and the line of David, that he will come from Bethlehem. They should have known that. And in fact, the leaders knew it. Go back to the, to the Christmas story. What happens? Herod calls in the chief priests, right? Because these, these kings, these magi show up at his, his office and they say, man, what, what's this all about? They're saying that the, the Messiah has been born. And they, they call in these leaders and the leaders go, well, yeah, the scripture says that, you know, they'd be born in Bethlehem. So the leaders knew it. And yet the people didn't. Not one of them stood in front of this crowd and said, you know what? Actually, the records say that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Remember, that was the year of the census. So he had to come to the house in the line of David because both, da- both Joseph and Mary are of the house in the line of David. So they both fit that, and both of them came to Bethlehem, and that's where Jesus was born because of that census. The records were right there in the temple. Could have done it. Didn't. False doctrine, false teaching can keep people from salvation. So when we read through the book of Revelation especially, we need to be very careful. And it's fun. I I love studying end times. I love Daniel. I love Revelation. They are a great, fun book. They are. To read about end times prophecy, to try and puzzle through all the imagery that that they give us, the monsters and the the statues and and bronze and clay and, and horses and lamps. It's great fun. But we cannot get so caught up in it that we miss Jesus. We cannot get so tied up in it that we think we know what it's going to look like and that we then begin to deny the word. Guy, uh, Irvin Baxter, and if you guys ever listen to him, he does the endtimes.org. But he has these elaborate theories about how historical events and revelation imagery fit our modern world. I can't help but think of this very passage when I, when I hear him. Because these folks were standing there with Jesus right in front of him. And what they thought they knew about Scripture kept them from bowing down and worshiping. Imagine this scene differently. Jesus is standing there pleading with them. Imagine if one of the leaders had stood up and said, actually, no, we know the record. I, I just ran back and I checked. He was born in Bethlehem. He's of the house and the line of David. Look at the works. Look at what he says. He says he's from God. Imagine if just one of them had stood up and bowed down and worshipped. It didn't happen. So we must be very careful. And Matthew 18, 6 gives a stern warning to those of us who would stand here about this. It says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. See, everyone in America thinks they know Jesus. If you were to walk down the streets of fruit and stop any person and say, 
Who is Jesus? Not one of them is going to say, I don't know. Because they've watched movies, they've read books, they've seen things on TV, and most of them use his name and God's name regularly as a curse word. So we must, we must proclaim the gospel honestly and truthfully and wholly as best that we possibly can. Because everyone assumes that they know. They know what they're looking for. So we have to be loving and gentle, but still we must correct the ideas. So instead, the leaders order the arrest of Jesus. They say, now the, the crowd's murmuring. They're starting to turn. Get the guards. We got to get this guy out of here, and we'll get the guards' reaction next week in, in, in verse 45. But we're going to end with one truth and an image. Verse 37 says, "On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, 'Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink.'" Who's ready for lunch? Anyone? Like, oh, come on, man, wrap it up. Your body gets hungry and gets thirsty. It does. And you can choose what you eat and you drink. You can eat balanced and healthy, or you can eat unbalanced and unhealthy, like I do. You can drink when you are thirsty. And there are good and bad things to drink. And if you go long enough, without food or water, you will die. If you eat or drink of the bad stuff, either quickly or slowly, you will get sick and you will die. Jesus is telling us a truth about our nature. Our soul gets hungry and gets thirsty. We know this. Our culture, our art, our music, it is filled with imagery trying to express what our souls experience. We were grabbing something to eat this morning and in the TV over at uh, Einstein Brothers, they had Bob Ross up on the, on the TV, The Joy of Painting. Those images that he paints up there, they speak to your soul. This images of, of creation. They speak of peace. They speak of joy. The colors explode in your mind. Your soul longs for those things. In comparison, I put a quote up here from, uh, from D.H. Lawrence. It's a poem called Self-Pity. It says, I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself. See, because we are created in the image of God, we have a piece of the eternal in us. Our eternal soul hungers and thirsts our souls can sing. Think about our worship time this morning. They can sing and moan and wail in sorrow or rejoice. And we can feed our souls with the world. It's not good food. And eventually, we will die. Or we can feed our souls with Jesus, the true food, the bread of life. We will live. We can slake our thirst with the lusts and the wanderings of the world. We can move from empty hole to empty hole trying to find fulfillment, always wanting for more, the lust and the power and the greed and the self-worship. Or we can go to the well, 
we can go to Jesus, the spring of living water. We can drink of Christ and live. It says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He says, in a loud voice, that anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You guys go camping at all? You don't drink the water, just FYI. You don't do it unless you want Giardia. It's just, you don't do it. You bring a little life straw or something. You boil the water. You do something. Because that water, it comes down from the snow or it comes up from the stream. And as soon as it hits the earth, it gets contaminated. Think about the ocean. Our, our planet is mostly water. You can't drink it. You'll die. It's salt water. You have to do something. You have to do some way. The, the ships, I we took a tour of one of the submarines and they have those big distillers in there to take in the ocean water and, and get the salt out of it and, and make it clean enough to drink. But if you go to the source, if you go to the spring, that's the pure good water. So as soon as it touches the earth, as soon as it touches the stuff around, it gets contaminated and you've got to get that stuff out of it before you can drink. says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. When you drink of Christ, that thirst within your soul, the longing, the hole that could never be filled, the hunger that could never be satisfied, it is satisfied in Christ. And he says, whoever, that is the open invitation. So don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Don't imagine it. Drink. Go to him and drink for once. Let go of all the rest. Just go to Jesus. Go to Christ. Dive into him with your soul. Turn to him with your soul and drink. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Father, please, we are hungry and thirsty. We are desperately seeking your rivers of living water. Please, Lord, fill us to the brim. Let us overflow. Father, please, flood this valley with your spirit. Drown this valley with you. That everyone who is out today, who's in their house today, would just be buried under an avalanche of your spirit. Father, we have this week coming up. We are seeking to represent you well. Please help us to be good ambassadors for you. Please keep us on your path. Please keep us from our temptations. Please forgive us for our sins. And please, Lord, correct us, provide for us whatever it takes. We are seeking your narrow gate. We are seeking the little spring instead of the big ocean of the earth. We just ask that you provide and that you fill us up to the We call it that in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.